Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts globally, and it's all because of my truly incredible guests, and I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game, and they show up here on this show willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. Now, these are not people who hold back. Their goal here today is to share with us the essence of peak performance. And my guest today, Julie Latz, joins me to talk about creating a healthy relationship with food. She has an interesting, a fascinating story, actually. For 45 years, Julie was obsessed with and controlled by food. Sound familiar, anybody? It felt like her life revolved around it, and she was a yo-yo dieter. And when she went off a diet, she found herself binging on all of her favorite foods, and then she felt miserably out of control. Again, does that sound familiar? So in 2010, Julie created a simple but really powerful process to finally become free from food addiction, and she detailed that in her book, Stop Binge Eating and Start Living Again. And she coaches women worldwide on how to stop compulsive emotional and binge eating without diet or deprivation. And by the way, I just made myself a host note, I heard Julie on another podcast with a friend of mine and hers as well, Amy Novotny, and I was fascinated by how her process, I, I listened to the whole thing. I mean, I actually put my, my, mo- my mouse down and sat back and went, oh, because I was fascinated by how her processes can also be l- applied to life and business. Julie, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Denise. I'm so happy to be here. We, um, I, I need to tell the audience, I could not get into my own podcast this morning, and then we had trouble trying to get her connected, but we're here, and I'm so happy about that, because this is such an important topic, and you know, I need to make the point that if we feel bad, if our brain is fuzzy, if our body is heavy and sluggish, it's very difficult, in my opinion, to have a healthy relationship with your business or your life, or your family. So we're going to go down a a big road here. So Julie, before I get started yammering at you, tell me a bit about you and anything I might have missed in the introduction. That was a perfect introduction. And can you hear me okay, Denise? I can. We were worried in the green room. You should have heard us. We were panicking. She wasn't panicking. I was panicking. (laughs) But we're here. (laughs) Okay. So that was the perfect introduction, yes, for basically almost all of my life, really since I was about five years old. My life revolved around food. In fact, I felt like I was having an affair with food because it was always on my mind. It was something where I would be hiding and sneaking so that my family members and friends wouldn't know how much I really ate. But I was I was controlled by it and I was obsessed by it and My mother, she meant well, and I don't fault her, but she really was preoccupied with my weight and how I looked, even at a very young age. And so her attempt 
to keep me thin and looking good was to make sure I didn't eat anything that was fattening. So my brother was allowed to eat cookies and candy and all that sort of thing, but I really wasn't. And what ended up happening, again, it was only with good intentions, but the impact it had on me is I felt like, well, if I'm not able to eat these, you know, delicious foods in front of her, then I'm going to eat them in private. And that's what basically kicked off my eating disorder of binge eating because I don't know, I remember always, you know, going everywhere I went, I was thinking, when is it time for lunch? When can I eat the foods I packed up in my purse? You know, the junk foods. So it became my pattern, my habit, and the story that I told myself. So that's really basically how I lived for 45 years. And it is an addiction, is I mean, you say that you were obsessed with and controlled by food. I think that's pretty common yeah. in case. And I'll, you know, I've said this before on this podcast because I, yeah, I tend to eat one meal a day, and it's a healthy meal for the most part. And I just don't get hungry. I never have eaten, never ate breakfast. I don't like it. In fact, it won't stay down to be honest. But I tend to eat just one good-sized meal, you know, midday, maybe a little bit later, and then have healthy snacks if I, you know, get a little bit peckish, you know, nut or, you know, maybe half an avocado or a boiled egg, something like that. But I learned, and, and it took me a long time to figure out that if I ate the wrong foods, for me it's carbs, and, and I don't like sugar, so but there's sugar and everything, my brain just goes fuzzy. I mean, I get exhausted. My brain just kind of says, let's go take a nap. I may not be physically taking you know, a nap, but my brain has gone somewhere else. That's interesting because you're, I would say, like kind of a lucky one in the sense that you're, you're able to listen to your body because it speaks so loudly to you to the point where you say, I, I just don't want that. So it, it sounds like it wasn't a struggle for you to do that. Well, it is a struggle a bit because if I eat the wrong things, I immediately start getting fuzzy. It's hard for me to work. And as you know, I'm a web developer and I own a digital me- social digital social media digital agency. I own it. <laughs> Can you tell? Right. But, but if I'm eating improperly and I do it for long enough, my business just it doesn't suffer. I get things done, but I'm mad. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, you know, my creativity just goes straight out the window. And I know for a fact it's because of what I'm putting into my body. Yes, I can absolutely relate. I feel like, you know, people who struggle like I did with binge eating, food addiction, it's, you, you, it sucks the joy out of daily living. Like you can't really enjoy anything in life when you're feeling out of control and that something is deciding for you what your behaviors and your actions are going to be. It's just an awful feeling. Can't be on your game with anything. You know, I used to be out with my family and as I was kind of alluding to before, wherever we were, they may be enjoying whether it was the Yankee game or, um, you know, the aquarium, wherever we were. And I wasn't enjoying it. I was happy in theory to be with them there physically, but my mind was always thinking about food. And so, you know, whether it is business related, if I don't eat as well as 
as I normally do, I agree with you. I just don't feel, I don't feel productive. I don't feel as creative. It just takes over. Um, it kind of shuts down all the good things that you feel when you do treat your body well with food. And listen, it's not the easiest thing. I mean, I have been known to just eat junk. And I don't mean sugar. I don't like sugar. It actually hurts me. It just kind of grosses me out, to be honest. But I'll go into, you know, kind of a funk, I guess. I don't know what it is. And I'll start eating things more than I normally eat. And I'll eat things that I know are not good for me. I bought them in the grocery store. They had pretty colors on the boxes. That means no nutrition. Just lick the box. You'll be in better shape. But every once in a while, I'll just say, oh, I need fried chicken. Well, I don't need it, but I want it. So, And that will set me off on, and it doesn't go on for very long. It goes on long enough for me to go, what the hell did you just do to yourself and why? Then I sit down, I have a chat with myself. Because I don't feel yes. like I'm starting to get just kind of sluggish and the dog wants me to go out and walk with her. And I'm like, you can't do this yourself. I'll just open the back door. I mean, it's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, watching I can your relate. intake is important. It really is. And drink water, by the way. Everybody drink water. Yes. I never did that growing up. Um, and if I did, maybe it would have made a difference. Maybe I would have felt fuller. Um, and not needed to turn to food as much. But I don't know. That was a long time ago. Well, it sounds like there's some psychological things going on with you, and I've seen it in my own family. I've seen it with a lot of people. I mean, we all have our issues, and sometimes we we self-soothe with alcohol or food or drugs or shopping. You know, we do a lot of self-soothing, I think. Yes, absolutely. And this is just when it comes to food, the only difference is that it's easier to self-soothe with food, as you were talking about before, it being an addiction, because with other addictions, you can go cold turkey and you can stop and you can say, I'm never going to have alcohol again. And you can be successful. But with food, we have to eat. And so it's not quite as simple as that. Well, that makes sense. And what I was going to mention earlier, you know, I'm, I'll be out and about. I'm taking the dog to the vet or, I'm, you know, I'm out and about. I always try to, in fact, Wednesday, I have all my errands lined up for one day because I like to get out, you know, get stuff done and get back home. I'm an introvert. I want to go home. But I have always noticed, and the, the more I drive around fast food restaurants, because, you know, everywhere you go, they're popping up everywhere. They're like pimples. They're everywhere. But that was gross, I know. But... I, it doesn't matter what time of the day I'm I'm out. It may be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It may be 11. I can kind of understand this brunch if you haven't had a meal. But if you're driving through, this is just my opinion, if you're driving through a McDonald's at maybe you just picked up the kids from school and you're going to eat then and then you're going to go home and I guess cook dinner and then have snacks, whoa, stop it. Seriously, just avoid those places and don't eat when you're not really needing to eat and I know that's I sound very bossy but it's it works for me I eat when I actually get hungry not before not after well, it's interesting. actually hungry yes it's it's interesting you you bring up about hunger because when I and I'm sure we'll get into how I 
got to the other side of this. But one of the most important, like the only rule I made for myself when I got to the other side of this is that I would always ask myself before eating, am I hungry? And the rule became, if the answer is no, I don't eat. And that is something I never thought of when I was a binge eater and feeling controlled by and obsessed with food. I didn't care whether I was hungry or not. I never even thought about it. I just felt compelled to eat huge quantities of whatever I could get my hands on. And I would eat it fast because I didn't want to get caught. So that's wonderful for you that you always make sure to eat only when you're hungry. And, you know, if you think about it, would we ever give food to a child or a pet when they're not hungry? Like, would we do that to their bodies? No. But, you know, when we've got this kind of an addiction, all of that goes out the window. Imagine it does. And, you know, pets, mine are constantly telling me they're hungry, and I'm constantly calling them liars. They have they eat at 7, <laughs> and seven that's it. We have chats. But I wanted to, to go over so many talking points with you because I wrote them down. Overcoming food addiction, how did you do that? Ditching diets and deprivation, ending emotional eating. We've been talking about that a little bit, but I know you need to expand on that. Creating a healthy relationship with food, that's a toughie for a lot, a lot of people. Me as well. Look, I live in the Deep South. We can cook. Honestly, I live in Cajun country, and the rule around here is if it can be caught, it can be cooked. We eat alligator. We eat anything. I don't eat squirrel. I'm not going down there. <laughs> but, but the problem yeah. for me when I, when I realized that I was eating a lot of rice, I can't eat rice. It bothers me. I immediately just kind of go, oh, and I can't breathe anymore. And I realized that I was eating a lot because it's so good but I was eating outside of my comfort zone. I was eating, you know, a couple meals a day because, oh, my God, it was so good. That took some doing. It really did. Yes. So what would you like me to start with? You brought up some talking points. Where should I oh, Whatever you – and I think I missed um, building uh, self-trap. Whatever, wherever you want to go because I know this is your journey and I want you to share it with us. So whatever you think is the most important – I will mute myself, and you go. Okay, and no need for muting. I, I'm happy for you to jump in if you have questions along the way. But will basically, do. as I said, I started, I started this you know, um, issue with food when I was a very young child. And basically what happened was, you know, I, I told you how it began. And I do want to add that knowing why I did it actually never made any difference until – I figured out what to do about it. So I went from diet to diet over those 45 years, and I always thought, well, you know, this, this new diet sounds good. If I can just hold on to the willpower forever, then maybe I can take off the weight and keep it off and my problems would be gone. And I really did think that was the case every time I did it. My mom also sent me to therapists. I tried, you know, gym memberships. I really tried everything. And I just couldn't get a handle on it. I couldn't get my eating under control because a diet would work, right? I would lose some weight. And then because on a diet you're told what you can't have, at some point that deprivation, you know, you're holding on to the willpower for as long as you can, but feeling deprived and the deprivation ends up leading you right back to binging. 
So it was a cycle that just kept going on and on and on over, you know, close to, um, well, for all those years. So basically what ended up happening was in 2010, so I wanted you to understand, I've tried it all, nothing that was unhealthy, but diet after diet. In 2010, I woke up one day, and I, I really don't know what came over me, but I was literally petrified to get into bed one more night, feeling bloated, disgusting, hopeless, and helpless, and just out of control. Now, I had felt this way, I can't even begin to tell you how many times. There was something unusual about this day. I was too scared to get into bed and have it happen again. So I said to myself that day, I need to figure this out today. I have to figure out how to live as the opposite of a binge eater. I never thought about that before because, as I said, all I used to do was go from diet to diet. But I finally realized I had to look at the fact that, you know, I realized, like, diets don't work, and that's all I've been doing. So what would it look like to live as the opposite of a binge eater? And that was a new way of thinking. So... I thought to myself, well, if my main concern is getting into bed happy tonight, because again, I was just, I couldn't do it one more time. I realized I had to be happy after everything I ate. And then by definition, I'd be happy when I got into bed. So then I thought, well, what does it look like to be happy when it's over? You know, after each thing, a meal or a snack, what does that look like? And I just started to slow down the whole process instead of just seeing food or, you know, chasing after food and eating it and, you know, not giving it a thought and feeling miserable afterwards, I slowed down the process and had a conscious conversation with myself. And I I thought, well, as I said before, if diets don't work, you know, then what, what else is there? And I realized that the problem with diets was the willpower. So I started to think about what's the opposite of willpower? Well, maybe it's something which I ended up calling want power, where I get to make choices instead of feeling pressure to stay on a diet or pressure that I should have this or I shouldn't have this. So I began to just ask myself some simple questions. And one of them I I spoke of before, which is, am I hungry? And that's when I decided to make that rule that if I was hungry, I would eat. If I wasn't, I would wait. And that was kind of interesting to me that I could make that decision because for all I've ever known, I couldn't make any decisions other than, you know, um, which food I was going to abuse my body with. So let's say the answer was, no, I'm not hungry. I wasn't feeling physical hunger. Then I would check in with myself a little bit later in that day, 10 minutes, a half hour. And when I got to the point where it was like, you know what? Yes, I'm starting to feel hungry. Then I asked myself, what am I in the mood for? And that's not something I ever asked before either, right? I wanted to know, do I want something sweet? Do I want something savory, crunchy, salty? Like, what is it that my body is asking for? And I wouldn't eat anything until I figured that out. And sometimes I knew right away, and sometimes it would take a little while. But I was patient, and I persisted with this new way of thinking, So let's say I came up with, you know, a food that I wanted to eat. Let's say it was oatmeal. I would ask myself next, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over? Well, what was that based on? You know, this whole happy when it's over thing. 
Well, I decided that I needed to keep track of how many calories or points. I ended up deciding to follow Weight Watchers because I realized if I'm going to stop staying away from my favorite like trigger foods and kind of figure out how to incorporate some of them into my life, I really had to know how much is going into my body because I had a lot of weight to lose. I ended up losing 90 pounds over time. But I had to be cognizant of how much is going into my body, and I did want to eat healthfully, but I realized I need to start incorporating a couple of foods a day of things I would normally binge on because if I just kept staying away from those trigger foods, then I'd still just be on a diet. So asking myself, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over, happy meant that I was staying within my point range because I wanted to lose weight. It meant that I was eating what I was in the mood for and it was in an amount that would leave me satisfied and not bloated or uncomfortable. So I'm going to just stop here for a minute and see if you want to interject any questions or comments on that. What I have to say, I wrote this down, willpower equals want power in your world. I love that. I think that is just brilliant. Willpower is a toughie. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly talking to myself going, Denise, did you really just do that? Well, yes, you did. Well, dumbass. And then off we go. <laughs> so, yeah, like, and I that, don't want to have well, those conversations anymore. I want, I don't, you know, willpower, it's great. If you have it, wonderful. I think focus is better, but that's just me. But willpower, I find what it conjures up for me is a struggle against yourself. You're trying so hard exactly. to follow what you should, quote unquote should do. But when you turn it around and use what I call want power, it's really saying, at least with this, what do I want? How much do I want? And when do I want it? So that was another question I would ask myself. Do I want this now or would I rather wait until later? So all of this conscious talk that I had with myself was diametrically opposite to anything I had ever thought of or done in the past. And you you brought up about emotional eating. And one of the things that I found is, you know, I figured out, like, we will always have emotions that are ready to take us off our game. Like, that is just part of life. And as long as we keep our emotions tied up with our food, we'll always you know, run into the same problem. So what I tried to imagine was, well, actually, this is, this is for the listeners to, to try to visualize. If you take like a rubber, kind of like a stretch band, maybe that you would use to do exercises, and you put a knot in the middle of it, I like to think of it as on the left side of the knot are your emotions, and on the right side of the knot is your food. And you're the knot. You're, you're so, you know, tight knotted up with the two. But if you imagine cutting that knot and you're left with two unrelated pieces of material that have absolutely nothing to do with each other and they live on their own um, figuratively. So until I was able to kind of cut that knot and see that they – that if I don't cut it, I will just keep going to get triggered and, you know, turn to food every time I'm hurt or upset or lonely or bored. 
But once I had that visual of cutting them, what I decided to do was um, I would look at the emotion that was trying to take me off my game. And I would ask myself, what's one thing I can do right now about this thing that's got me down that might move the needle a little bit for this? And I have to tell you, I have not eaten emotionally in I don't even know how many years. I mean, I started in 2010 to figure out this process. And the emotional eating part of it may have taken a little bit of time, but it's been years because I kept practicing that, just looking at, ah, I see this person hurt my feelings. Okay. Well, instead of turning to food, which would only make me feel worse afterwards, because remember, everything to me was wanting to feel good afterwards. But instead of eating, because then I would feel still just the same that somebody hurt my feelings, but I would feel worse because then I would feel, you know, out of control and depressed on top of that. So what I would do is think, well, okay, so-and-so hurt my feelings. What can I do about it? Does it make sense for me to reach out to her? Should I write a letter and decide whether to send it to her or just get it off my chest? Do I want to take a walk and think about this? I would just focus on what can I do to move the needle? And it made all the difference. And by practicing that, that's what eliminated my emotional eating. Well, that makes sense. But what I'm hearing, and I think this is so important, is that you started having real conversations with yourself instead of just, you know, pointing, shooting, grabbing, you know, handing over your your car, just doing things by rote, and you stopped doing that consciously and had very important conversations. Yes, and the, the good thing, I'm glad you brought that up because when I saw that I can have these conscious conversations, that's when everything changed. And honestly, it changed on day one because I never knew I could do that. So, for example, I was talking before about um, – realizing I needed to start to incorporate some of my trigger foods into my day every day so that I would get off a diet. So, for example, back in the day, I'm going to tell you some of the, a couple of the snacks that I used to eat. One would be baked lays, like a small bag of baked lays. And what I found is oftentimes at like 10 in the morning, I would be thinking of those potato chips. But I would ask myself, do you want these now or, or do you want to wait? And I have to tell you, 100% of the time, I would say, I don't want them now. I don't want to actually be eating one of my two snacks at 10 in the morning. I will be much happier if I have them to look forward to after lunch or after the gym or whatever it is I'm going to do. By putting that off, that empowered me to finally build trust in myself that I could make conscious decisions. Once I saw I could let's say, put off the potato chips, it was, that's what I mean, like everything changed. And then I wanted to do more of those things that showed that I could initiate control over my behaviors. So the other example I want to give you is I used to eat frozen yogurt. And again, I would follow Weight Watchers, the point system. So if I went to the frozen yogurt store and I thought in my mind that, eating what I think is about three points worth. And again, something like this, there's no way to really know how much frozen yogurt is three points, but it wasn't about being exact. It was more about taking charge of what I was eating. So I would go to the frozen yogurt place and I would ask them for a small. 
And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but a small turns into like the hugest thing you could ever imagine that they end up giving you oftentimes. Well, the binge eater in me would think, oh, well, they gave me more than I asked for. I'm really kind of happy and I'll eat it all. But this new peaceful eater that was emerging, which again started right away, I would look at that huge amount and I would say, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over? And I would make a decision. Again, it wasn't exact. And I would scoop some off the top and throw it away. Now, I'm not condoning wasting food, but I had to make myself a priority. So once I was able to see myself take some off and actually enjoy the rest of it, I thought, wow, like, I I can't believe I can do it. Or I I was able to eat two cookies and not 22, I always like to say. When I saw myself for the first time eat two cookies, I thought, if I can do this and enjoy them, why would I ever want to abuse my body with food again? And that's why the change happened so quickly was because I was actively making these, what I call tricks to make it stick, which is certain questions that I asked myself throughout the day that showed me I could live as the opposite of a binge eater. And that is what happens for most of my clients. They find that when they do this work, and I tell them this takes work every day, but I'm, I've pretty much told you a lot of the work. And it's not hard. It's a matter of asking questions. There are some other elements to it that I you know, just haven't gone into. We don't have all the time. But um, once they start to see this, that they have control, it, it's, all, it's almost immediate. So that's what happens with most people, not everybody, because not everybody is willing to actually do it. Another really important, but they get there. If they do it, it doesn't take long at all. But if they stop doing the work, they will backslide. I guarantee that to everybody. So it takes work every day. It's not hard work. But if you, and if you do it, you'll feel great and you'll get results. But if you, if you stop doing the work, you will backslide. If I stop doing the work, I backslide. Every once in a while, I'll eat, you know, a little bit more than I should, or I'll be up two or three or four pounds because I'm not doing the work and the need to be. Then I just get right back on track, which is a very different me than the one who used to be able to gain nine pounds in three days from going, you know, from Burger King to Bagel Nosh to this place, Mm -hmm. that place, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, from place to place. That was my life. And now it's like, oh, okay. Do you ever it wonder just how much money you spent in these places that practically I kill know, you but and I never make sure that you're broke? But you know what? When you're compelled to do this behavior, you don't actually care. You don't care even though you know, like, you know, I always used to worry, like, what is eating this way doing to my body? What diseases will come my way? And I always worried about that, but I still couldn't do anything about it. I, could, I just couldn't figure out how to stop doing it. And so many of the people I work with, including myself, felt like or feel like I'm so successful with so many things in life. Why can't I just get a handle on this? And once people start to do this, where they're asking questions and they're being what I call awake at the plate and they're eating what they're truly in the mood for and they're eating it when they want, And another really important key is paying attention to every bite. You know, we live in a society where 
We're scrolling through our phone when we're eating. We're watching TV and we're sitting down with a bag or a box of something. Once we're done with that food, we say, okay, now what? Because we weren't awake at the plate. We just didn't have any sense of satisfaction or satiation. We weren't part of the experience. But when you pay attention to Or even to remember bite, eating some of it. Yes, have you ever noticed, exactly. Julie, I've, I've noticed this a lot. Like, like I say, I live in the South and we eat excellent food. We eat a lot of, you know, fresh um, shrimp, oysters, crabs, crawfish. We eat a lot of fresh food and, you know, it's kind of a still, thankfully, a, a rural area. A lot of the sugarcane fields have been mowed down and houses are popping up everywhere, which makes me cry. But, you know, we we are able to eat very well and healthy if that's what we choose to do. But what I have noticed is if I kind of wander off you know, my little plantation and just go, I'm going to do some binging, oh, me, 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 and I'm, I can hear it in my head, but I make the decision to go eat junk. When I say junk, mm-hmm. I don't mean ho-hos or anything like that, but you know, stuff I don't normally eat, and I have to actually go buy it in the grocery store to cook it. I mean, that's how bad it can get. And then I feel terrible. But you know what I've noticed when I do that? And thankfully, I don't do it much anymore. It's always going to happen. But now I, I catch myself going, no, you're not going to the grocery store. Go look in the freezer. So I have to have those talks. But what I have noticed over time, and I always did notice it, just didn't pay attention, was that after the first three or four bites, you're not really tasting what you tasted in those first, like, oh, my God, this is good bite. You're just not tasting it anymore. That is so true, and that reminds me of clients that I've worked with that once they become awake at the plate and they're paying attention to the taste of the food, they've reported things to me like, wait, they must have changed the ingredients or the formula in this ice cream or in these Cheetos or whatever because it tastes way cheesier than I ever remember or this ice cream tastes like sweeter, and I say to them, no, no. They didn't change anything. It's just that you've never been there to pay attention to it and focus right. on it. And a lot of times they'll, they'll say to me, you know what, I realize I don't actually even like this. So they just got into a pattern of eating it. But until they paid attention to the taste. And the other thing is when you are paying attention to it, you need so much less. So I used to eat handfuls of M&Ms. You know, I'd be at a party. And if there was a bowl of M&M's, I was, you know, all excited. I would eat them by the handful and then go to the, you know, whatever other food was there. Because why would I be paying attention to the people there when I was a binge eater who was out of control and was really only focused on the food? Obviously, things are, are different now, and I get to enjoy being with people. But back then, it was all about the food. So getting back to M&M's, I used to eat them by the handful. But when I you know, start incorporating the two snacks a day years ago, if I wanted M&Ms, I would look at the package, figure out, you know, how many points and how many M&Ms could I get for my points. And so let's say it was 10 M&Ms that I wanted. Well, I would sit down, I would take out those 10 M&Ms and I would put one in my mouth and suck on it till it was done. Then I would go to the second one the third one, and I'd go on and on. And I could tell you by doing that 10 times, number one, it took a really long time to do it that way. But I was so satisfied that I didn't need more than 10. 
So it's just such a huge breakthrough when you see that you don't have to shovel food in mindlessly and you can still enjoy the food and you get to enjoy your trigger foods. That's what the best part of this is, is that you never feel deprived ever again because you just, any food you want, you figure out how much can I eat and be happy when it's over. And I love that. And deprivation diets, nobody really wants to be told what to do. Honestly, we don't. I mean, I don't. I fight with my NAF system. She tells me to go left. No, I'm going to keep on going and see what happens over there. <laughs> so, but deprivation diets, I think, are they feel like punishment. You've already punished yourself by getting to where you are, so why do you want to invite more of that in? It doesn't make sense to me. Right. Yep. Okay, when yeah. you were on, on the, the podcast with our friend Amy Novotny, you were talking about pauses. And, I, boy, you should have seen me. I was scribbling like crazy. Let's talk about what you mean by pausing because I found that, honestly, out of everything y'all were talking about, that's the thing that really grabbed me. Well, it's interesting you ask that because basically everything I've just been talking about really does relate to the fact that what I found is the power is in the pause. So every time I was about to eat, I would pause and ask those questions. Am I hungry? What am I in the mood for? How much of it can I eat and be happy when it's over? Do I want it now? Do I want it later? Like those kinds of things really are what I mean by the pause instead of just you know, being, as I said before, like on the search for food, eating it as quickly as possible, not even focusing on what it is I truly want um, because it didn't matter. So stopping and thinking it through, um, you know, it just, it reminds me, I like to talk about the, um, we used to live in New York and I have three sons and a husband and oftentimes we would go to the Yankee game and you know, they were there enjoying the game. And I was planning my escape to the ladies' room or, or telling them I was going to the ladies' room, but I was planning my escape to the concession stand. And that's what I did. It didn't matter to me what was happening in the game. I had junk, junk food packed up in my purse, and I would want to go get a pretzel or whatever I wanted to have. And I did that time and time again. But when I got to the point where I I could um, embrace the power being in the pause. I would go to the Yankee game with them, be able to enjoy the game, be able to enjoy being with my family. But then I would ask myself, is there something at the concession stand that I want? And if the answer was yes, I would go there. So let's say I did want a pretzel. I would go there. I'd come back to my seat. I didn't have to go shove it down my throat in private so that they couldn't see, I'd come back to my seat. I would ask myself again with a pause, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over? And then I would break off that piece and say to everybody else, would you like some? Now, could you imagine what a different life that is? Not only for what I was doing to my body, but also being present and being able to enjoy life with my family and not hiding. That's just, I'm almost speechless. That just sounds like such a terrible way to live. But the thing is, from what I'm hearing from you and and I observe with other people, 
they don't know they're doing it really it consciously they they know subconsciously they know exactly what they're doing but they don't stop to pause and ask those questions i mean i think that's right. really because, really important well that's the whole thing is when you live this way and you feel compelled to do this you believe that, you know what, this is just me. I can't help myself. I, this is how it's always been. This is how it'll always be. I just need to find another diet. Everybody who struggles with this thinks the same way and just kind of keeps going, you know, to the latest and greatest diet. But again, what that's doing is setting themselves themselves up for willpower and deprivation, and the cycle just continues. So the the problem is that people don't know that there is hope to be able to, to change so yes they know they're doing it they're out of control doing it they beat themselves up over it and then all it does is lead to another diet and the cycle continues so i'm here getting the word out that you know once i figured this out for myself i thought like well this is amazing like i'm now calm around food i'm i'm in control of what i eat which is mind-blowing um I wonder if this works for other humans. So what I decided to do was try my approach out on three different women. I coached each one for free for a month just to kind of do my research. And I spoke with them every day, like Monday through Friday, just for a little little bit of time each day. You know, I shared with them my, my process. And I coached each of them for a month. And they all got the same kind of results I got. And that's the time at which I said, I need to get this to the masses because people are suffering needlessly. And so that's why I've been coaching women, as you mentioned, worldwide for years. And um, it's been an incredible journey for me and for them. I can imagine. And I've, I've, got, a, I've got so many questions. One thing that I wanted to ask you when you when you get to the point where you're building self-trust around food, and I have to mention Taco Bell, not not too long, maybe years ago, and I used, as a kid, I loved Taco Bell. To me, that was, we didn't have treats in our house. We just didn't. We had the meals that my mom put on the table, and that was it. And then when I met my high school sweetheart, we said, ooh, let's go to Taco Bell, and I got hooked. I blame him. But in many, many years, I have not been to a Taco Bell. I really try to avoid driving through any kind of restaurants, just, not healthy, and I know this, but I was out and about, and I really was hungry. I mean, my stomach was actually gurgling a little bit. I was close to, you know, a bunch of restaurants. Oh, Taco Bell, I haven't been there in a long time. I have to tell you, I pulled over in the car because I don't want to eat in the car, and it's soggy by the time you get home, so I pulled over and I parked. And that first bite had me spitting it out the window. It was so stinking salty. It actually burned my tongue. Wow. I had no idea it was that bad. The cats behind the, the dumpster, they ate well. They got my entire lunch. <laughs> I can't eat that stuff. It's just, and once you, you eat healthier, you eat fresher, you eat cleaner, you'll go back. I'm just telling you, this is my, you know, what happened to me. You'll go back to some of these places and you just, oh, my God. And you mentioned it earlier. What the heck is that? And you're going to find out that you don't want to eat that again, ever. Right. Okay, Definitely. so, well, it, it was interesting. I mean, it really was interesting that it was it was that salty. And I had to, I have to know, 
I started asking friends of mine, have you noticed how salty that is? No. Do you eat it a lot? Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> you know, that was my answer. But, oh, my Well, you gosh. know, what happens, I find what happens is our microbiome, you know, which are our insides, they get used to whatever we, we put in there. So if you continually put in Taco Bell or any of those other things, your body just craves more of that. When you remove that from your life, and you put in healthier foods, then that's what your microbiome is, is craving and asking for. And I find that by having people do, uh, incorporate two snacks a day in amounts that will you know, prevent them from feeling deprived and give them enough satisfaction to not binge on them, it doesn't rev up that microbiome to scream for more. So when you choose to eat two cookies, and you pay attention to every bite, and, you know, you do that sort of thing. It's not enough to do what it does to you when you are loading your body up with salty and fried foods. Because when you're doing that, all your body wants is more of the same. I love fried shrimp and fried catfish, and I have to stay away from it. I mean, I will eat it, and if I'm going to binge, it's going to be fried fish or fried catfish Mm -hmm. or fried oysters. And I'll do it knowing that I'm going to feel pretty icky for a day or two after that. But, oh, my God, it tastes so good. But I have a beginning and an end to it. So I know what I'm I'm going into it, but I'm not going to keep on going into it. That's exactly what I was just going to say, that you're choosing to indulge in something, but you know you're, you're thinking about the consequences. They matter, but you're choosing that knowing that, you know, you're going to experience them, but you also know there's an end to it. And that's where we differ. People who suffer with this problem, and that's why I was able to easily gain nine pounds in three days, because there was no ending until Ah. nothing fit or, you know, the clothes were too tight and I was forced to go on another diet or I knew that there was some upcoming event and I had to fit into, you know, clothing or there was back to school night was coming. And I better do something quick. All of those kinds of things. Other than that, left my own devices, I would just keep going. But you obviously were able to, you know, plan it, have it, enjoy it, feel gross and get, get on with your life. We've got Mardi Gras coming up. You cannot avoid good food on Mardi Gras. It's illegal. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. <laughs> so I'm already planning for that. I've got gumbo. You know, people come over to my house for gumbo, and I will eat mine without rice because rice does just instantly. I'm so congested I can barely breathe, and nobody wants brown rice on a gumbo. Trust me, on it's not gonna happen. <laughs> but, right. But you know, I mean, we we just got out of the holidays. You know, Thanksgiving starts. I think with Halloween for a lot of people who like candy. I don't never have. Lucky me. I mean, I'm very grateful for that. But then you've got Thanksgiving, and then you've got Christmas, and then you've got January where everybody is running to the gym. I think we're February now, so they're not going back to the gym. But the way you are teaching your people, coaching with your people makes so much sense to me, and I have questions. I mean, once you start feeling better and once you start kind of draining some of the stuff out of your inflammation, out of your body, you know, the the brain fog that kind of goes with eating just the really bad things for you. Do you find that people just want to add more exercise 
knowingly or unknowingly and they want more movement and they're paying more attention to nutrition and how about supplements i mean we're not getting yeah we the stuff that we eat from the grocery store i'm telling you i'll say it again lick the box that's the best nutrition you're going right. to get out of the more colorful well, and yeah. pretty the box oh my god walk away right well yes i find that when people start treating their bodies better they feel lighter they feel more alive they lose the fog, and then because they're feeling better, they want to do better things for themselves. So even though my particular process or program works without exercise, you know, because it changes your relationship with food, but the benefits are that because you start feeling better and you start feeling lighter, because, again, if you're going to stay within your points or your calories, the weight's going to come off. And then you do start to see like, wow, what else can I do to feel better? Well, maybe I'll go for a walk or maybe I will start going back to the gym. But again, it comes from want power. It doesn't come from, ugh, I better go back to the gym. I should. I paid for it. It's not that kind of thinking. That's all diet mentality. That's all struggle. This is choice. Want power is all about choice. So you can get to the point where you're like, oh, yes, I'm feeling better. What else can I do to compound that and feel even better. And when it comes to supplements, I agree with you. I've, I've heard, learned so much about supplements. And I, I do take supplements. Um, it doesn't, like, I feel I eat the healthiest food on the planet at this point. In 2013, I did decide to become a whole food plant-based eater, which basically is a healthy vegan. But again, I work with people no matter what their eating style is. But um, so even though I'm eating salad the size of, you know, a family of six, that's just by choice now. That's what I like to do. I still take supplements because our soil is so depleted and we're really not getting nearly the amount of vitamins and minerals that our bodies need or that we used to get, you know, many, many years ago. And it's so important. I mean, if you are mineral depleted, I figured out some years ago that I needed magnesium because I would wake myself up in the night, my legs would be cramping for no reason at all. And, you know, once I started kind of doubling up on the magnesium, I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. That worked. <laughs> so you have to pay attention yes. to what's going on right. in your body. <laughs> magnesium, I think, is very important, though. Yes, and you become an advocate for yourself when you get your head out of the freezer, the pantry, and the fridge, when you can actually have these conscious conversations. But it just starts with, number one, believing that change is possible, and number two, actually asking these things and listening and waiting for the answers instead of just acting on impulse. This, this process really is all about as I said earlier, like living as the opposite of a binge eater, what that entails is interrupting the process of impulsive eating, you know, just giving into your impulses. And that's, again, right. where the pause comes in. And what I find is the more times I would pause and ask these questions, that's what got me into momentum. So I also tell my clients, like, if they do one thing, you know, one of these tricks to make it stick or one of these kinds of questions, that's great. It's better than not doing any. But if they only do one, they're not getting into momentum. I find that going throughout the day, 
looking for where I can insert pauses keeps me in the game. It keeps the momentum going. Does that make sense? It does. And I don't know about you, but when I'm talking to myself, I do it a lot. I'm a brilliant conversationist, just so you know. But I also live alone, (laughs) so I can talk to myself. I talk to the cupboards. I talk to the cats. I talk to myself out loud a lot when I'm asking questions, you know, such as those that you're sharing with us. Because to me, if I'm speaking out loud, I'm not just, well, let me, let me back up. When we're in our own head, we're fighting with a thousand messages that are going to zip, zip, zip through our head. We don't hear one thing inside of us. We just don't. We hear all kinds of different things. Like, oh, you know, I was talking to Julie. Oh, squirrel. Off we go. But if you stop and you ask out loud, ask yourself, ask spirit, ask whoever you want to talk with, is, am I hungry? I'm speaking it out loud. I'm really not mm-hmm. hungry. It's okay, yeah. well, shut the refrigerator door, Denise. Let's go back to work. But I find that speaking out loud is a way of focusing, number one, and then you take your pause, that, which I find so amazing, the pause, and you listen to what is going to be said back to you. You're going to hear it in your stomach. You're going to hear it in your head. But you're going to get. You're going to hear it. No, Denise, you're not hungry. Okay, thanks. And you're talking to yourself, but that's not a bad thing, mostly. Right. Don't do it on the street right. corners. <laughs> exactly. Although if you live in New York, they're used to that. <laughs> Where people I live, you probably, <laughs> people would just look at you and say, honey, who, how are you doing? Who's your mom? Can I have your phone number? I'm going to call you mama. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be the end of that. Right. You'd get told on. Yes. Okay, so we've talked about overcoming food addiction Ditching diets and deprivation, ending emotional eating, which is a big, big thing. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. I think I already asked you that. And then creating a healthy relationship with food and then building self-trust around food. And what I really like about your program and and what you're sharing here is that you don't have to go, go to a gym. You don't have to really give up anything. You're not really dieting. You're paying attention to yourself. You're having conversations with yourself and you're answering yourself. So this is yes. not something where you have to go buy gym clothes and shoes and, you know, gas for the car, which no. is a problem for a lot of people right now. You can do this in your own home, in your own head, in your own heart, which I think is brilliant. Yes. And that's why it works so well, because there is no other friction. There are no other expenses. You just have to be willing to say, okay, I've never been able to eat my favorite foods in moderation, but I'm going to take a leap of faith and try it. But again, you can't just try it. You have to, you know, ask these questions and some others. And, you know, as I said, there's some other elements to this. But basically, you know, everybody I work with says, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't just eat two cookies. I have to stay away from this or that. And when they tell me that, I say, I'm so glad to hear that because you're exactly the profile of the person that I help, people who don't think that it's possible. But then they just learn if they're willing to just take that leap of faith, then they can change their lives and build that trust and faith in themselves by being able to enjoy their favorite foods in moderation. And then they don't have to binge anymore. And the food is going to taste much better. I mean, the food really does taste better. 
once you've gotten rid of you know some of the inflammation, that is a big problem in diets across the world. You know, and I don't know about you, my brain goes fuzzy. It makes me angry, and then I have to stop. And yes. Think, what did you do, Denise? What the heck did you do? Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. There you yeah, have it. One, one example. One example I'd love to share with your listeners. If I have another minute or two, is that okay? Oh yeah, we've got three more minutes. Keep on. Okay. Basically, I had a client who said to me on the phone one day that she knew she wanted something warm and something creamy, and she thought it was chilly. When I spoke with her the next day, she said, you know what? What happened was I realized it wasn't chili that I wanted. I thought I wanted oatmeal. And then she said, no, it's not that either. Maybe I want pizza. Well, the bottom line is she finally got to the fact in her mind that she realized what she wanted was grilled cheese. And she ate the grilled cheese and she was done. So she also said if she weren't able to think all of this through, then she would have had the chili and then she would have gone to the oatmeal and then the pizza and finally had what her body was truly asking for. So that's the power in here. She saved at least 1,000 calories, I would think. Well, not only that, but... Right, but she worked, you know, worked through it. Do I want oatmeal? Do I want this? Do I want that? Yes. And again, you're yep. talking to yourself. You're listening to yourself, and then you eat what you really wanted. It tasted delicious. You're all happy, and off you go. Yeah. Brilliant. So you lost ninety pounds. That's a lot. Yes, I got to a size four. I'm comfortable in my skin. I'm comfortable in my body. I mean, in my clothes. So it's a good thing. I guess it is. Listen, we've gotten, thank you for sharing everything. We've got just a couple minutes left. Before I let you go, is there anything else that you want the audience to know about you or where can they go? I know you've, you've got your website. People can opt in for a free ebook. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. Yes. So I have a free ebook called um, The 10 Tips to Stop Overeating. And I also want to let your listeners know that if they are interested in a coaching program of mine, if they use the code YOURPARTNER and then the number 10 at checkout, they'll get 10% off of the coaching program of their choice. So I wanted to let them know that. Uh, Thank you. I'm sure they appreciate that. I appreciate the offer. Well, listen, we are just about out of time. You told me where people can find where no, you didn't. Where can people find no, you? What is of the website? Yeah, it's it's um peacefuleater.com. P E A C E F U L Peaceful Eater. So that's one word, peacefuleater.com. How did you come up with that name? It's a terrific name. It says everything it needs to. That's how I came up with the name. To be able there, there to feel peaceful around food. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. It just felt perfect. Julie, it, yeah, it, when you read it, you're going, okay, I like the sound. I like it. I mean, I look, I'm a web developer. I'm always telling people, no, you can't use four initials and, you know, a pound sign for your web development. You just can't. It has right. to make sense. You know, the search engines yeah. need to be able to read it, and so do humans. So anyway, thank you, Julie. I'm sorry about the rant. <laughs> it's just... Couldn't help it. It's been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice that you shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind thank you. I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Audible, Stitcher, honestly anywhere 
you consume your business podcasts. The truth is you can't throw a stick on the internet without your partner on Success Radio. So find us and take us along on your success journey. Again, Julie, thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.